calling this the Old Testament for grown-ups. The Old Testament for grown-ups. Because uh, what I've come to find out, basically in my own life and in the life of many others, especially those of us that grew up in church and grew up in Sunday school and grew up in you know, children's ministries and things like that, you know, obviously we teach the Bible to people on their age level. So with our children, we take the Old Testament, we take the stories, and we bring them down on a level that kids will understand, that they'll get something out of. But then something happens as we grow, uh, and as we get older, as we begin to read the Bible stories for our own, as we are exposed to uh, people that have a different view of the Scriptures than we do, uh, some of those simple ideas in the Bible can begin to get challenged. And sometimes our faith have, has to grow up in order to truly look at the Scriptures for what they are. I'll give you a prime example. And it's one of my favorite examples to use, and that's the story of Noah and the flood. It hit me one day as I was reading that story that as a kid, we neatly package that story up in a nice, neat way. You know, we have, this little, we have this nice guy, Noah, and he's a righteous man. And there's a, God tells Noah there's a flood coming, and we want you to, God wants him to build an ark uh, and take all the animals and bring them two by two into the arky arky. And, you know, and then the rains came, and, and he floated on the ark with all the animals and his family, and then they landed safely, and God saved them. So, you know, we tell that story to kids, we package that up in children's books uh, about the flood and Noah saving the animals, and then you grow up one day and you realize, you read that story, everybody dies but Noah and the people on the ark. Everybody drowns, men, women, children, animals, everything is destroyed, and suddenly what was a nice, neat little children's book, you look at it and you're like, that's really bad. You know, that, that's really horrific to think about the whole world drowning and being destroyed. And suddenly you're like, okay, what's happening here? Uh, and what's happening here is that, you know, we teach the Bible to the age they can understand it. But then we grow up and we begin to read things and we begin to you know, scratch our heads and trying to figure out some of these uh, issues in the Old Testament. One of the major conversations I've had over the years is especially with students. And as students get out of high school and they get out of church and they go off to college, uh, a lot of colleges, they either take a world religion class or they take an introduction to New Testament class or an introduction to Old Testament class. And one of the first things that will happen when you go into a major university is that your professor will stand up and he'll say, everything that you learn in Sunday school is a lie and it's nothing like what you thought it was. And then you've got an 18-year-old kid that comes back home to their parents and says, well, my professor says this and this and this and this and this, and that isn't what I was told, and then they're left in confusion. Uh, or, and no doubt that, uh, I mean, that happens all the time. I've had plenty of conversations with our students, and so in fact, even Joe and I have talked about some of those things of preparing our young people to not just have a fun youth group, but to really teach them about the Bible so that when they're confronted with different ideas and confronted with information that we didn't tell them necessarily in church, that they'll be able to uh, understand and make their way through and won't lose their faith. So let's begin. What is the Old Testament? The Old Testament is a divinely inspired collection of 39 writings from ancient 
Israel. And these divinely inspired writings do three things. Number one, it records the history of the ancient Israelites. It records the history of the ancient Israelites. That is what the majority, outside of the first 11 chapters of Genesis, that's what all of the Old Testament consists of. It's telling the story of God's people, Israel. And when it talks about, when the Old Testament talks about other nations, it talks about other nations in relationship to Israel. It's because they are neighboring uh, nations and they're part of the story. So, first of all, the Old Testament records the history of the ancient Israelites. Secondly, in that history, it reveals their covenant relationship with God, or Yahweh as one of the names of God. It reveals their covenant relationship with God to bless the world. As we'll look at next week and a little bit more when we get to Genesis, Genesis begins with the creation story and you know what is told as the beginnings of humanity. And then in chapter 12 of Genesis, we have this wide focus, and then it narrows down to Abraham. And then the rest of the Old Testament is centered on Abraham and his family, which become a nation through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the 12 sons of Jacob, which become the 12 tribes of Israel, and their relationship with God through the covenant that God gave them. And how God told Abraham that through you, all nations of the world would be blessed. So that's what the Old Testament does. It reveals the covenant relationship that Israel had with God in order to bless the world. And thirdly, it relays the religious wisdom and prophetic messages sent to the people of Israel through the prophets. So we have the writings, uh, as we'll look at in a moment, we have the historical stories, but then we have uh, Hebrew wisdom and Hebrew poetry. We have Proverbs and Psalms and Ecclesiastes. And then we have the writings of the prophets as they spoke divine messages to the people. So uh, the Old Testament relays those messages that God gave many years ago to Israel to the people of all time who sit down and read the Old Testament. So that's, that is, in essence, what the Old Testament is. What you'll notice is it is a Jewish document. Uh, it is a document uh, that was written by Israelites, to Israelites, for Israelites. And um, we have to, first of all, understand the Old Testament in these contexts. And then in a moment, we'll talk about why is this Jewish writing in our Christian Bible. So anyway, those are your three reasons for the Old Testament. Thus, the whole Old Testament is a prophetic interpretation of Israel's history that reveals God's eternal purposes concerning ultimate redemption. Overall, the overarching theme of the Old Testament is redemptive history. How God worked throughout history to bring redemption not just to Israel, but through Israel to the whole world. And that will culminate in the New Testament scriptures with Jesus. But the overarching theme of the Old Testament, beyond just history, is God's plan of redemption for the world. Uh, the word testament literally means will or covenant. So Old Testament, Old Covenant can be interchanged um, we call it the Old Testament, not because of its age, but in contrast to the New Testament. For in Jeremiah 31, Jeremiah says, 
and he prophesies, predicting the future, Behold, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Jacob. So the new covenant that Jeremiah prophesies, we believe as Christians, happened with Jesus and the revelation of Jesus and the teaching of the apostles. So Jesus brings in a new covenant, which Jeremiah prophesied would happen, which made the first covenant old, as Hebrews talks about. So that's why we refer to uh, the first 39 books of the Bible as the Old Testament or the Old Covenant as God dealt with Israel. So that's what the Old Testament is. Now the books of the Old Testament are what's called the canon. The canon was when they took all these books and they put them together and made one book uh, out of it. And the Old Testament is a part of the Christian Bible and it's referred to as Scripture by the writers of the New Testament. It is made up of several different forms of literature. It's made up of Pentateuch, or, or several different sections. Pentateuch, which the word Pentateuch, Penta is five, so it means five books. So the Pentateuch is the first five books of the Bible, and you see them there, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Then there are the historical books that relay a lot of the historical narratives of Israel, from Joshua down through Esther. Then you have poetry and wisdom books, uh, which are Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So that is classified as Hebrew wisdom or Hebrew poetry. And then the remainder of the books in our Old Testament are the writings of the prophets, uh, the major prophets and the minor prophets. And they're phrased that way not because one's more important than the other, but Usually, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are uh, much longer than your minor prophets. So you have your five major prophets and then your 12 minor prophets, and which end out our Old Testament. So, you know, we're probably familiar with, with that, those sectionings of, of our Bible, the Pentateuch, the historical poetry, uh, wisdom, and prophets. And what's important about knowing that is what kind of writing it is to, determines how we interpret that writing and how we look at that writing. So uh, it's not all just one straight form of writing. So that's how we view the Old Testament as Christians. But if I was a Jewish person today, how would I view the Old Testament? Well, first of all, I wouldn't call it the Old Testament because for a Jewish person today, the Old Testament is not old. The Old Testament is current. The Old Testament is the Bible. Um, I, I purchased a book several months ago, that, and it was called How to Read the Bible. And it looked very interesting, and I was collecting material because I'm a preacher and I collect a bunch of books. And uh, so I purchased this book called How to Read the Bible, and I got it. And it was all about, it was, I was like, well, this in the Bible just talks about the Old Testament. I was like, maybe this is like volume one, and the New Testament is volume two. But come to find out, the writer <laughs> is a Jewish writer. Uh, so when he wrote How to Read the Bible, he's writing it as a Jewish person. And the Bible to him are these books that we call the Old Testament. But in the historical sense, the Old Testament is referred to as the Hebrew Bible. So our Old Testament is the Hebrew Bible. It is the Hebrew Scriptures. And um, simply referred to as the Bible or the Scriptures by the Jewish community, who do not recognize the Christian New Testament. 
Uh, the Old Testament, known in Judaism, it's known as this word called the Tanakh. And basically, that's three letters, T, N, and K. And T, N, and K are the breakdowns of how the Jewish people view all of these books. Uh, T stands for Torah, and that's the same as what we call the, the Pentateuch, or the first five books. Then the Nevaim, and then the Ketuvim, and we'll see that on the next page. But both the Christian Old Testament and the Hebrew Bible contain the same books. They're just in a little different order. So if we go to the back of page 1, you'll see what is the Hebrew Bible. And the Hebrew Bible is broken up in three divisions, as we just mentioned. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Then we have the Nevaim, which is the prophets. And the prophets here are broken up as what they call former prophets. And those are Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. So in the Hebrew Bible, there is no 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Samuel. It's all one book. You know, throughout Christian history, those were split up into two books, the same way with Chronicles and the same way with Ezra and Nehemiah. In our Christian Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah are two separate books. In the Hebrew Bible, Ezra and Nehemiah is just one book. So the former prophets are Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. The latter prophets is Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel. And then you have the twelve. And those all make up the prophets. And then you have uh, the Ketuvim, which means, simply means the writings. And these are Psalms, Proverbs, Job, Song of Solomon, Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and the Hebrew Bible ends with Chronicles. So we have the same text and the same books as the Hebrews do in the Hebrew Bible, just in a little different order, and they have combined, or we have divided several books that were originally uh, combined, being Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Samuel, and Kings. So there's your history. So if you're talking to a Jewish, per if you're talking to a Jewish person and they talk about the Bible, just know they're talking about the Old Testament. Now let's look at some of the background of the Old Testament. Uh, first of all, who wrote the Old Testament? Well, there's a lot of different authors who wrote the New Testament. Uh, and what you find is that each book traditionally has a writer that was ascribed to it, usually coming from the ancient world. Um, again, if you, go to, if you go to seminary, you go to college today, there's a lot of debate on who actually wrote these scriptures or you know, who compiled these scriptures together. Um, but as you see here, uh, the Old Testament was written over uh, 30 writers over approximately 1,200-year period. That's one thing we understand about the Old Testament. It is old. I mean, it is ancient. Uh, one writer puts it this way. He says, we today are closer to the year 5,000. Now, we're in 2020. We're closer to the year 5,000 than we are back to David. I mean, that, that's how far we are removed from these writings in the world in which it lived. And I know I'm guilty sometimes as I'm reading the Bible. You know, I'm thinking, hey, this, this was written not, not too long ago. You know, and we kind of look at it in a, in a context that maybe we would look at the world and we would look at life. But that's not the case at all. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. So under the authorship, Moses is traditionally seen as the author of the first five books of the Bible. They're called the books of Moses. Um, Jesus refers to the first five books of the Bible as Moses. Uh, then he refers to the prophets. 
Um, so Moses is the traditional author of the, of the Pentateuch. Um, however, we know Moses didn't write every word in the Pentateuch. Uh, he probably didn't write the section uh, about his own death. You know, he probably didn't record Moses died and here's what happened after Moses died. Uh, so probably you know, Joshua or somebody else kind of picked up that story about the death of Moses. Uh, I mean, he could have written that. God could have revealed it to him, uh, but we don't know. But Moses is traditionally the author that the first five books of the Bible are described to or ascribed it to. Uh, Joshua was probably written by Joshua. Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel uh, was possibly written by Samuel, Nathan, and Gad. Uh, Jeremiah, First and Second Kings and Lamentations is uh, traditionally seen as written by Jeremiah. Uh, Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah suggested as written by Ezra. Esther is often attributed to Mordecai. Job is unknown, although rabbinic tradition says that Moses could have possibly written Job, but we have really no idea of knowing that. Uh, Psalms is written by David and others, and we find some of those headings in the book of Psalms. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon were written by Solomon, and the major minor prophets were written by men uh, whose names they bear. So again, those are your general, you know, traditional authors of the books. Uh, there's much, when you get into the scholarly world, there's much debate about these writings and all of that. But um, for our purposes, we will leave it right here. Uh, the language of the Old Testament. Much of the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, a few minor portions uh, in Ezra and Daniel and Jeremiah seem to have been written in Aramaic. Um, in fact, Daniel starts out in Hebrew. There's a small section of Aramaic and then goes back to, to Hebrew. Um, the Old Testament was translated into Greek sometime in the 3rd century B.C., um, which is known as what is called the Septuagint, the Greek translation of these books. Um, and they're the Septuagint because 70 Jewish elders worked on the translation of these books. And then you know, after that, it was packaged and canonized. Uh, this version was commonly used during the time of Jesus, especially among the Jews uh, that were dispersed throughout the nations. So it wasn't written in English. Uh, it's not written in King James English or any other English. It was originally written in Greek, I mean in Hebrew and part in Aramaic. Now on our next page, the culture, the culture of the world. And let me just tell you how big of a nerd I am. When we were in quarantine a lot and I was looking at things to do, uh, I ordered books and read about the ancient culture of the ancient world. That's what I do for fun. Um, I read about ancient Israelites and the Hebrew world way back then. And culture, and this is very important to understand about the Old Testament, is that, as I just mentioned, it was written a very long time ago in a radically different world than we are today, with different mindsets, with a different culture, with different everything. I mean, there's a lot that does not relate to our world today, and we kind of get a skewed view of it when we try to bring everything written thousands of years ago into today and think it's kind of the same because it's not at all, and that's where some of the problems arise. And, but that's how God, and but even though it is an ancient document, that's how God chose to reveal His self to uh, the world through this nation of Israel, through this ancient text, uh, to all people of all ages, that we are still reading this uh, thousands of years later. Uh, so God revealed himself in these Old Testament times. Um, so God revealed himself in the Old Testament in specific times, specific places, 
and to a specific group of people. It's important to understand the time and the culture in which ancient Israel existed and to know that the Old Testament comes to us out of a very different culture than that of our modern Western experience. Therefore, it can only be fully understood or understood fully by understanding certain elements of the land in that day. And the land of that day is called the ancient Near East. That's the term given to it. Uh, The ancient Near East is what we would call today the Middle East. So we call it the Middle East today. Back in those times, it's referred to as the ancient Near East. All of these peoples, all of these nations um, make up the ancient Near East. So there's a map there showing uh, what is what was the ancient Near East in those days. Beginning on the far right over in Persia, uh, really at the mountains there in Persia, uh, starting at the, the top of the Persian Gulf, going all the way through what was called back then Mesopotamia, coming around the, the Fertile Crescent, down through Israel or Canaan, as it, as it re- was referred to before Israel, uh, then over into Egypt. And this is, you know, the Fertile Crescent. It's, um, you know, area of rich soil. There was river basins and uh, obviously the Persian Gulf, the Mediterranean Sea. So it was prime for life to grow. You know, for life, you need water, you need food, you need vegetation. A lot of the Middle East at that time or the ancient Near East at that time, down in the Arabian Desert, you you couldn't live there. You know, you couldn't grow crops. You couldn't do these things. But in Mesopotamia and the Fertile Crescent and Canaan down to Egypt, uh, you had land that was ripe to grow, uh, rich soil where you could uh, have agriculture, rains, there were good rains there so you could get, uh, your crops could grow. So it was prime and that's the, the beginning of civilization, right there over in the ancient Near East, the beginning of civilization. Uh, the three main regions are what is Mesopotamia, uh, Israel as we call it, uh, before it would have been Canaan, some refer to it as Syria, Palestine. So if you see those in different writings, they all mean the area of what we would call uh, Israel, and then down in Egypt. So life in the ancient Near East can be traced back thousands of years. There were many different nations. There were many different people groups that made up the ancient Near East in its history. And this is you know, talking about thousands you know, of years Uh, even before the events of the Old Testament uh, take place, specifically beginning with Abraham. Uh, Part of this story and history of the ancient Near East is that every nation had their own culture. Every people group had their own culture, uh, and every people group had their own gods. You know, in the Old Testament, we read about uh, Baal. We read about Baal. We read about Molech. Uh, we read about Chemosh and Ashtoreth and Dagon or, or Dagon and, and Ishtar. We, we read about these foreign gods. You know, God told Israel, don't intermingle with other nations and, because you'll end up worshiping their gods. So if you notice, we believe today, as, as a Christian, we believe there's only one God. Every other God is a false God, a made-up God, not a real God. We believe there's one God. Uh, in Israel, in the time of Jesus, they believed there was one God, uh, and there was only one God. Ancient Israel lived in a time where every nation and people group had different gods. So the earliest ancient Israelites, 
believed in many gods. They believed in a pantheon of gods. However, they believed that only one God was worthy of true worship. And that was their God, Yahweh. So the theological term for us today in the belief of one God is called mono, one theism, one God. They believed uh, in monolatry, that there were many gods, but there was only one God worthy of worship, and that was their God. Now, that view changed through the years. Uh, When you get to the second temple period in Jesus, that view changed. But uh, there are are many scriptures that refer to God among the other gods. I mean, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. The first commandment doesn't say, you know, no other gods exist, that you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not worship Baal. You shall not worship uh, Ashtoreth or or Chemosh. For God was the only God that they were supposed to worship and serve and have. They were to reject these other gods. So that's an interesting fact that made up the ancient Near East. They all had these gods. They all had temple to their gods. Uh, And along with that, every nation had their own writings. Uh, So the Hebrew writings that we have in the Old Testament is one writing from the ancient Near East, but there are many other writings from the ancient Near East as well. And these other writings from these other nations and other gods do the same thing that the Hebrew Bible does. They explain creation, how creation came to be. Now, some of them are very different, uh, but they how, how their deity or their God you know, had part in creation how their God delivered them, how their God punishes them, how their God blesses them. There were other nations uh, that had laws, just like there are laws in the Old Testament. Almost every nation in the ancient Near East had a set of laws that governed them. Other nations had their own prophets. So there are other, and you know, the longer we, we live and, es- and do archaeology, and we discover more and more writings from the ancient Near East. East. And some of those writings are very similar to what we have in the Old Testament. Uh, there's uh, what is called the Enuma Elish. That is very, uh, that's a creation story from the ancient Near East. One of the most famous ones is what's called the Epic of Gilgamesh, and it is a flood narrative. There are some, several different flood stories that come out of the ancient Near East. Uh, Epic of Gilgamesh has a hero just like Noah that, you know, is saved and uh, you know, the gods speak to him about the coming flood. And so there's, there's some of these stories that even seem to be shared stories, but yet they have differences as well. So it's a fascinating study. And, and that's what I did during quarantine. I started reading ancient Near East studies and, and literature and buying all these books. And, uh, you know, my family thinks I'm crazy because I'm like, Alexa, have you ever heard about the Epic of Gilgamesh? And she's like, what? You know, so... But, but it's interesting to, uh, you know, to study that era and that time and see how you know, the Old Testament stands against some of those other gods and some of those other writings and some of those other laws and, and stories as well. Uh, so the culture of the ancient Near East is, is interesting. Uh, the literary genres, there are many different types of writing in the Old Testament. Uh, and each different type of writing has its own style, its own purpose, and its own way that it is to be interpreted. So on the back of um, page two, we have some of these types of literature. 
Now, not every book is a type of literature. A book may contain a you know, section or type of literature, but the overall uh, you know, majority of the first part of the Old Testament is what is called narrative. Narrative is storytelling based upon historical people, places, and events. So when you read about, when you read starting in Genesis 12 all the way through Genesis, that whole thing is a narrative. It's telling the story of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And the first part of Exodus is narrative. As we talk about Moses and we talk about the Exodus and we talk about the Ten Commandments given, all that is story. Uh, that's why it's easy to read. That's why when you start reading the Bible, you start reading the Bible great. You know, Genesis 1 through 11 is interesting, and then you get into the story of Abraham and his family, and there's a lot of you know, stories there. You know, he's lying about his wife, and his wife is a sister, and all kind of things happening, and Joseph gets thrown in the pit and sold into slavery, and then, then you have Moses being raised in Pharaoh's home, and now he's the great deliverer. Uh, and then, halfway through Exodus, something changes, and, and you don't really seem to have the same, man, this is really interesting stuff. Uh, some of this still may be because you're talking about this tabernacle and you are detailing every fabric and color on the coverings of the tabernacle. And then you're talking about animals and sacrificing and you're like, okay, this, and then you get into Leviticus and now you're really starting to lose interest. Why? Because we're switching and now in Leviticus we're, we're talking about laws. You know, and most of us don't sit down and just read the laws of our nation for enjoyment. Uh, but, but that's, in essence, what you have when you get to the, the telling of the laws and the consequences of the laws and how to deal with your neighbor and how to deal with land and how to deal with your children. So you have this law. So you've switched genres. You went from this nice storytelling to all of these laws that seem to repeat and, and, and repeat and uh, why? Because you've gone into a different type of writing. Uh, so narrative, and then you have law. Then you have poetry and psalms. Um, you have wisdom literature uh, that relates to everyday life and living out your commitment to God. Uh, and then you even have stories of parable and myth. And I put that in there uh, because parable and myth is a traditional story that doesn't necessarily have to be true or factual. It doesn't necessarily have to be factual, but it's a traditional story expressing truth. That's significant to a contemporary audience. Um, many people look at the writings, say, of Job. Now, you know, many people believe that Job is a real person with a real story. Um, some believe that Job was basically like a parable. That the purpose of Job was not to be this literal story, but it's a traditional story that had a meaning that applied to the people that explained life and explained uh, suffering and some of these things. And there's you know, nothing wrong with that. You just need to know what you're reading. So there's, you know, and Jesus used parables all the time. Just because a parable wasn't, you know, 100% factual doesn't mean it didn't have truth and it wasn't true. It was very true and it conveyed truth. So we see some of that dispersed throughout the Old Testament. Number six, there's apocalyptic literature. We talked about that in Revelation. Uh, apocalyptic literature sh shows up in Daniel uh, and the prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, Zechariah. So you see this apocalyptic imagery pop up and all of a sudden you're in a different world there when you're reading apocalyptic literature. Uh, then you have prophecy, which prophecy by the prophets was inspired utterances by a prophet to the people for instruction and warning. 
Uh, then you have type and shadow, and that's really not something that is evident when you're reading the Old Testament. That's something that we do as Christians looking back onto the Old Testament. We see the story of Jesus, and all of a sudden, because Jesus said the Scriptures, and when Jesus says the Scriptures, He means the Old Testament. He says, the Scriptures speak about Me. We, we've done that in the Psalms. So when Jesus said the Scriptures speak about Me, the first church went back to the Old Testament and began to look for Jesus in pictures and in types and shadows. So that's a way that we can look at the Old Testament uh, as well. Again, when you're just reading the Old Testament through, you're not going to notice that, but looking back on it, you will. Uh, and then there's uh, you know, parts of allegory and figurative and metaphor in there. That's dispersed throughout all the different kinds of, of literature as well. And that's truths communicated in a symbolic or a non-literal way. So you know, when you're reading something in the Old Testament, first ask yourselves, what am I reading? Am I reading narrative? Am I reading a law? You know, does this sound more like a, a you know, a parable? Is it kind of too good to be true? Or, you know, and, and what truth to draw out of that? So recognize what you're reading when you read it. Uh, and then number five, theology. Uh, theology, the Old Testament is not, it contains history. It contains a lot of history because it is, you know, as we said in our very first point, it records the history of the ancient Israelites. But it records history not for the sake of history. So even though it records history, the Bible or the Old Testament is not a history book. That's not the purpose. Uh, while many people look at the Bible uh, as containing science, and some see the Bible as anti-science, the Bible was never written to be a science book. It's not the purpose of it. The Old Testament was written to ultimately teach Israel, and by extension, everybody else, about God. So it teaches God by using narrative, by using history, by using science, by using these things. But the Bible itself is not that. The Bible is communicating theology. It's teaching us about God. So, you know, people want to come and they want to argue, you know, creation, you know, because people like to argue stuff, you know. Is creation seven literal days? Is creation a theistic evolution? Is it this and that? And, you know, I'm, I'm not getting caught up in that because... You know, I was on a science book, or was Job a real person, or was he was, or, or was he not a real person? Doesn't really matter to me, because it's teaching truth about God, and that's how the ancient Israelites saw it. So my faith is not going to be shaken if I didn't if I find out Job wasn't a real person. That is a story to teach me a truth about God, because my faith doesn't hang on Job being a real person. My faith hinges upon who God is, and especially who God is revealed through Jesus. Which brings us to you know, a whole other issue about the Old Testament. We'll get to that in a moment, too. I don't want to jump ahead of myself. Um, so just know the Old Testament teaches us about God. It gives us different names for God, which names reveal different attributes about God. It teaches us how God related to Israel through covenant, how He's a covenant-keeping God. So theology is at the heart of the Old Testament, not history, not science, not all these things that people try to make it to be. It teaches us about God. Uh, the timeline, not going to go through the timeline, really. Um, there are some interesting things about it when we get to Genesis. Genesis 1 to 11. Now, we can sit down and we can read Genesis 1 to 11 in about you know, 10, 15 minutes. It doesn't take long to read Genesis 1 through 11. But Genesis 1 through 11 covers about 2,000 years of history. 
So the first 11 chapters of Genesis covers about 2,000 years of history. The, from chapter 12 to 50 covers about 300 years. So that, that just tells you when we're reading it, we don't really get a sense of you know, time in that. So that's why it's good to lay this foundation. So uh, from Adam and Eve to Abraham was around 2,000 years. Uh, from Abraham to the end of Genesis was about 300 years. And there's 400 years in captivity. Um, then they went into the promised land with the conquest of Joshua. Uh, then you had the kingdom set up. The kingdom was united under David and Solomon, and then it was divided. And then the Babylonians went into cap, or the Israelites went into Babylonian captivity in 586. And so that just gives you some history. And then after they returned from the exile up until Malachi, uh, which is around 400, 440 BC, something like that. So you're talking about covering history from the beginning of time and beginning of humanity, Adam down to about 400 B.C. So you're, you know, three and a half plus thousand years is the material that it covers. Um, but yet it's, again, a lot focused on uh, Abraham and the story of redemption. So that just gives you a little bit of the timeline of what we're doing. Because I, I like that. I like to know kind of, you know, what am I dealing with? Where, where are we at on the timeline of history? Um, and then what, what also is confusing is that even though, like, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther is near the front half of our Old Testament. Those things take place later on. And some of the prophets that are later take place earlier. So the Old Testament is not written chronologically. Okay, you need to know that. It's not written you know, chronologically. There's kind of a chronology, but there are things that jump around, especially when you get to Ezra and Nehemiah that come after like Jeremiah and things like that. So those things to me can be very confusing. And I was like, couldn't there have been a better way to do this? There's a Bible called the Chronological Bible that takes every scripture and puts it chronologically. That's pretty cool. Um, but just kind of kind of put some things in perspective here. So we've talked a lot about the Old Testament, what it is, the land. So the question is, why is it in our Bible and why do we care about it? And the fact is, there are a lot of Christians today that don't put a lot of time and effort into the Old Testament because they don't really see it as relevant to their lives. So why do we as Christians, why do we need the Old Testament? Why do we study the Old Testament? Why is it important? Here's why it's important. Number one, it's important because in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says all Scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable. And when Timothy says, or when Paul writes to Timothy that all Scripture, he was talking about the Old Testament because they didn't have a New Testament Scripture then. They were talking about the Old Testament. So all Scripture is inspired by Because it's inspired by God, it's worth studying, and it's worth knowing about, and it is profitable for our learning. Number two, it teaches us how Israel viewed and related to God based on their revelation of Him. We learn about God and how He related to people and to Israel and to nations through the Old Testament. Number three... The Old Testament was the Bible that Jesus read. And I think that's some validity. And because Jesus took the Old Testament seriously, I think we should as well. But here's, the, here's a foundational observation. As I mentioned, there are a lot of writings from the ancient Near East. 
Enuma Elish, Epic of Gilgamesh, Ugarit text, all kind of stuff that we don't know about and we don't care about and that we don't base our life upon. I don't base my life upon, you know, Mesopotamian writings. And there's, and there's in one sense, I probably wouldn't care much about the Hebrew Bible and the stories in it and the history of that if it wasn't for Jesus. The reason we care about the Old Testament is because Jesus did. And because Jesus taught it. And Jesus believed it. So when Jesus died and resurrected from the dead, the gospel went to these other nations. And guess what? These other nations, Romans weren't Jews. They, they didn't want to be Jews. They didn't care about the Jewish religion. But they've had this experience with Jesus, who was a Jew, who took the Old Testament seriously and taught the Old Testament and read the Old Testament. So now these early Christians who didn't care about Jewish history and literature, now they're going back and they're reading the Jewish scriptures. But they're reading it looking for Jesus. They're reading it to find out more about this Jewish person named Jesus and where he come from and the God that he called his father. And all of a sudden, it became important to them. The Old Testament became important. And so by Jesus' death and resurrection, the Old Testament now began to be relevant to Christians and ultimately became adopted by Christians as part of their faith tradition. Not because the Old Testament was their testament, because the Old Testament isn't our testament. It isn't our covenant. We don't have the Old Covenant. We're not ancient Jewish people. We're New Covenant believers. So the New Covenant is our covenant, but it's a part of our faith heritage. It's how we learn about our faith. It's where our faith has come from. So our next point, point number four, is that the Old Testament is foundational to the understanding of the New Testament. You won't know what half the stuff in the New Testament is talking about unless you go back and know what the Old... I mean, who, who could know what Hebrews is about unless you had the Old Testament? You couldn't. You wouldn't know what it was about at all. So the Old Testament is foundational to the New Testament. Uh, number five, the Old Testament reveals God's ultimate plan of salvation leading up to Jesus. Uh, so we see how the plan of salvation begins in the Garden of Eden in chapter 3 of Genesis. That's the first promise of redemption and how it culminates all the way through the story of Israel up to Jesus. And then number six, the Old Testament is full of types and shadows of Jesus. So the first, the first Christians went back and looked for Jesus in the Old Testament. In our last section today, I throw out a lot of stuff, don't I? I just, sometimes I get tired myself. Our last section now that we know the Old Testament is important to us, now that we know why we should read it, why it's a part of our faith journey, how are we to approach it? How are we to understand it and how are we to interpret it? Is it as simple as, this is God's Word, this is the Bible, it's written by God, it's given to you, so do everything it says. All right? Now I have to go and stone my rebellious child when I get home. Now I have to go sacrifice an animal. If this is God's Word and it's all God's Word to me and I'm supposed to do what it says... You know, we're going to be in trouble some, okay? We've got to start raising lambs and pigeons and start sacrificing. So what do we do with the Bible or the Old Testament? Because as I started out with, the Old Testament is not always a nice, neat, little, tidy book. It's just not. I mean, by chapter 6, God's killed everybody but Noah. 
you know, we're six chapters in and everybody dies. Okay, um, so, so that's something we have to talk about. Um, so because when you have people start reading, and listen, there's parts of the Old Testament I really don't want my kids to read, you know, especially like the last two chapters of Judges, okay? You know, where they, t- where they take the lady, kill her, chop her up, and send her to all the different tribes of Israel, and then go into the neighboring nations and kill everybody. You know, that's not really stuff. You know, if they made a movie about you know, the Old Testament, that was a real pictorial uh, movie. You know, my kids couldn't watch it. You know, it would be rated, rated definitely R. Because there's some rough stuff in there. Um, and because of that, it's fodder for critics. And so these seemingly troubling passages, problematic passages, you know, do I take my rebellious child out and stone them or do I put them in timeout? There's a big difference, okay? Can I sell my daughter to another family for a cow so she'll be a slave in their home? There, 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 there's some stuff in the Bible that we often ignore and overlook or don't even know we're there anyway because nobody will tell us it's there because it's not really the best look, but in fact it's there. And because there's some problematic stuff, and then there is, um, it's given rise to much critical scrutiny. And I've listed some things down here of some of the issues people have with the Bible. And some of these are well-meaning Christians that are trying to figure it out. And some of these are just critics looking to tear down the Bible. But yet, these are your main points, whether they're true or not. These are your main points of why people have a problem with the Bible or with the Old Testament. Number one, you have these extraordinary miracles that we don't see in our world today. You know, so people are like, Jonah really didn't get swallowed by fish. People just don't get swallowed by fish and, and, and threw back up. You know? Uh, you know, Joshua made the sun to stand still. Okay, that... That, that doesn't happen only. You know, the Exodus, Red Sea, we don't see seas part every day. So you have these extraordinary miracles that people will look at in a critical way and say, ah, are you sure you know, that really happened? That's one of the things. Another one is this God that seems to be very angry. Like I said, by chapter 6, he's killed everybody except one family and some animals. He seems to be very angry. Um, he seems to kill people that touch the ark in the wrong way and they're, they're just struck down dead. Uh, so, and then the New Testament, we find this God, and He's grace, and He's loving, and He's forgiving the sinners that the Old Testament tells them to stone, the lady called the out of adultery. So is God this wrathful, vengeful God that says to stone people and kill people and, you know, wipes the whole earth clean with a flood, or is He this God that forgives people? Which has caused a lot of division and confusion. Um, in fact, we have a New Testament separate from the Old Testament because there was a guy named Marcion in, 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 in the early first centuries, and, and he said, the God of the Old Testament is not the same God of the New Testament. He separated those. Uh, and while he took things to far extreme, he recognized there's some things we have to deal with here in the Scripture. Uh, then the third is the issue of violence, that God literally tells the Israelites to go into Canaan and to kill everybody, men, women, children, and animals. Does God condone genocide? in a very violent way. A lot of people have a problem with the violence of the Old Testament. Uh, that's, it's there. So that's one of the issues. And then science. Again, people will look at uh, your secular scientists today will look at seven days of creation and just scoff and mock and laugh at it. Says there's no way. The Bible and science doesn't line up at all. And then you have scientists who are Christians that try to bridge science and the Bible together and prove that the Bible is not anti-science. But science is always a big um, 
uh, a big topic when it comes to the Bible. And then you have what I put as these outdated laws and practices. Again, you know, we're stoning people. We're selling our daughters to other families. We're, you know, doing all these types of things that we wouldn't do today. I mean, we saw if we saw somebody on the street killing an animal and sacrificing it, we would say those people are insane. Well, that was the world of the ancient Near East. They all did that. Everybody sacrificed to their God. Uh, but we say, well, we would never do those things today. So people will say, well, that's why the Old Testament is old and outdated and we shouldn't have anything to do with it. And then people point out seemingly contradictions. That, hey, you know, the Bible says that, you know, God rose up and told David to number Israel. And then the next book says Satan told him to do it. So it's God or Satan. Or this, this says it's 33,000. This says it's 300. Uh, and people point out these contradictions. And, of course, that's why you have apologetics and you have books this thick explaining all of the seeming contradictions. And a lot of people look at contradictions because... They don't understand some of the principles of the Old Testament. But yet, that's a critical view. And then finally, uh, people point to a lack of extra-biblical evidence. If all these things happen, where's the evidence? Uh, people point to the Exodus. Uh, the Exodus was a huge event. You know, the whole Egyptian army was drowned in the Exodus. Um, that's not recorded in the annals of Egyptian history. Uh, so there's people are like, where's the evidence for that? You know, where's... The evidence for day that David ever existed. And you know, people will look at all of that and say, well, there's, there's not a lot of evidence outside of the Bible or you know, the Scripture, so where is it at? And th these are just critical things that people bring against the Old Testament. So you know, if you have a grandkid that goes off to college and they come back and they're like, my professor told me miracles doesn't happen. God's an angry, wrathful God. Uh, the Bible has nothing to do. It's anti-science. It's outdated. It's full of contradictions. And there's no evidence have this stuff even happen. Most parents would be like, huh? But those are, I mean, th these are things that we have to, to deal with, especially as we become a more anti-God and religious culture. Because here's what kids have today that many of us didn't have growing up. They have the internet. And all you have to do is a quick Google search. And everything that comes up on Google is why the Bible's not true, why everything's outdated, why there's full of contradictions, and it's right there at fingertips. So while I'm preaching something, you can be Googling something and you can pull up something that's totally different than what I'm preaching and teaching or what Joe's teaching on Wednesday night. These kids can pull up something they'll be like, um, yeah, this never happened or, you know, this, uh, or this is just like a, another ancient text and it was just copied and... These things come up all the time, and it can destroy the faith of people. That's why we need to know what and why we're studying. So, number two is hermeneutics. Um, how do we understand the Bible? First of all, we oh, the Old Testament. First of all, number one, we need to understand what the Old Testament is. When we understand the nature of it and what it is, it's not a science book. It's not for history. It's for teaching theology about God in the context of ancient Jewish writings and history. We let it be what it is. Do I want to go and stone my child? No. You know, am I going to go sell one of my daughters, you know, to a neighboring person? No, my dog, my dog maybe, you know, but, but not my daughters. But yet, that's the world. I understand that's the world that happened 3,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago, that we don't live in today. And for some reason, God chose to give his word through those times. So I understand. So I'm good with that. 
I understand the world is much different. Just as what we do today, when people in 5,000, when in the year 5,000, they look back at what we did, they're going to be like, why did they do all that? Those people were crazy. They didn't know what they were talking about. That's just the way history and life happens. Uh, Number two, learn the context, the historical context, the cultural context. That will help solve a lot of these problems. The audience relevance, who is it talking to, who is it talking about. Uh, Understanding covenant, that, hey, something's happened within the context of covenant. And God did this because it was a part of the covenant. Why would God send his people off into Babylonian captivity? Because it was a part of the covenant. It was a curse of the covenant. Um, Number five, look for meaning within the context. Get the big picture. Don't get bogged down in the details. What is this trying to teach me? What principle? What am I learning about God? What am I learning about life? What am I learning about myself? Number six, how does it fit in with the larger theme of the redemptive narrative? The first sermon series I taught when I came here was Ruth. You can teach Ruth individual principles by a section of the story, or you can see how it fits into the narrative of Israel. Or you can see how it fits into the narrative of all of historical redemption. That Ruth becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus who becomes the savior of the world. So there's different levels, but you can see there's an overarching theme of the story of Ruth. And it's that way with all the other stories. So how does it fit in the larger theme of redemption? Even if I don't understand it. Even if I don't understand animal sacrifices. God, why do you have such a bloody religion? You know, when you got to sacrifice all these animals. And thank you for not making me a priest back then and, you know, 2080, I appreciate that. It's much easier today. But yet I see how that prefigures and pictures Jesus when it comes. So I see how it is in the narrative. And then number seven, try not to impose modern interpretations on ancient text. Not everything in the Old Testament talks specifically to us today. And when we try to impose those things, uh, we really start to do injustice to the text. So let the Old Testament be the Old Testament. Use these principles to, and don't make it say something that it's not saying. And, you know, some of the things we do is we like to just draw a few scriptures out of the Old Testament and these things apply to us, um, but nothing else does. <laughs> you know, that's just, we usually pick the good. We usually pick the good. You know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You know, we like that one. I mean, we make that for us. All these ones about I'm going to send you off into captivity and judge you and all this stuff is we, 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 we don't claim those. So it's amazing how we claim a few verses from the Old Testament for us, but not the majority of them. Uh, so let's be, you know, consistent. And then finally, 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 and I put this principle out separately because it's so important. We as New Testament Christians interpret the Old Testament by what is revealed in the New Testament. So because Jesus came and because we have the New Testament and the apostles, we interpret the Old Testament through the light. We interpret the Old Testament in the light of the New. So therefore, the reason we don't sacrifice animals is because it's revealed that Christ was our ultimate sacrifice. The reason we don't you know, go and kill our enemies and pray for their death like David did is because Jesus came along and he said, pray for your enemies and love your enemies and Repay no one evil for evil. So we interpret the Old Testament by what is revealed by Jesus and the apostles in the New Testament. Um, The Old Testament is incomplete without the New Testament. It is incomplete without the revelation of Jesus Christ. So we interpret the scriptures, we interpret the Old Testament scriptures through the lens of 
Jesus.